All right. Well, welcome. Welcome, everyone. Um, I want to let you know that I believe that the word of God is absolutely true. I believe the word of God is 100% God's heart, God's thoughts for us. And I believe that God is doing a great work in your life as I know he's doing in my life. And so are we going to make a commitment to let God do his perfect work? If you agree to let God do his perfect work, I want you to put your hands up and say, God, do the perfect work in me. Ignore my stubbornness. Ignore everything else, Lord, (laughs) and just do the work in me. With your Bibles, I want us to turn uh, to the book of Romans. We're going to look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And this particular message, I want you to... Take notes, um, or I want you to read, uh, watch this again, and um, and listen to this message because I do believe that this message is is apostolic in nature, but it's personal in its commitment. It's apostolic in nature. In other words, I believe this message is what's going to heal our nation and not just fix our nation. There's a big difference between trying to fix the nation and the nation needs to be healed. And so as the church, this message is for you. This message is not for the world. Even though we're in the world, we're not of the world. I'll say it again while you turn to Romans 3.23. We are in the world, our humanity, but we're not of the world, our divinity. And so it's vital that you understand that God has given the church an assignment. And so we must be faithful to that, to that assignment. I began in, in May and shared a message entitled Walking in Wholeness. If you were here that first Sunday in May, uh, we began a message that, again, that I believe is apostolic in nature, but prophetic in its commitment, pastoral in, 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 in its delivery. And so as we moved along the month and then the next month, it was Mother's Day and, and, and a great message was, was given and someone said one of the greatest Mother's Day they'd ever been to. It was powerful. It was absolutely awesome. Then we followed up that with a baptism that I have never witnessed before, a baptism of where it's just, man, God's moving in this place. He's moving. He's moving. And so I wanted to continue on that, in, in that lane, and I said, God, and then all of a sudden, he wrecked me and said, stay on this message of walking in wholeness. He says, don't rush it. Don't rush it, because God is healing our nation through the church. I want you to write that down. God is healing our nation through the church. Stop trying to go to get to fix the nation. It's not going to work. The nation needs to be healed. We say over and over, Second Chronicles, God heal our land. Not God fix our land, God heal our land. And so he wants to bring healing to this nation through the church. And so I'm excited about this message on the one hand, and I'm so extremely nervous on the other hand for this message because um, it has taken me out of my comfort zone, and it's requiring me to take my time and to ignore the faces of people as we preach this message that might be saying, where are you going with this? 
That's why I said earlier, Lord, remove the stubbornness. Remove whatever is holding you back from moving in my life. Because here is the deal as you get to Romans 3, 23. And here's the first point that I mentioned in May, the first Sunday. I said, we are all victims of the fall in need of healing. Every single one of us. We are all victims of the fall in need of healing. I had a pastor came to me and he says, Roel, when you said that to me, I could, man, it resonated so powerfully. And so I realized what God was giving me was, was an apostolic message uh, for the nation uh, that he's called me to. Um, but it begins first with the church. So this message is really for the church. Um, it's for the church because, again, what I've noticed is that we take our narrative from the world and we try to make it fit into the church. And we're great at that, by the way. We're really good at that. And all we are doing is, is continuing the curse. We're continuing the systems of this world to continue to plague us. And so although we see some progress, we see no freedom. And so what we want is freedom. And, and so, so we are all victims of the fall and need of healing. And so as we take a look at this, we're going to see and break down what is, it, what is, what is the statement, the victim of the fall. What does it really mean? And so Romans 3.23 says it really simply. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of man. No. We've fallen short of the glory of what? God. We've fallen short of the glory of God. What God originally intended for us. What God originally intended for who we are supposed to be. That's what brings God glory, is that. And so Paul is, is, is writing to, to these Roman uh, b- believers, the, these Gentiles, and he's writing to them, and he's saying, listen, your culture is causing confusion. Your, your, your idol worship, you came out of darkness into the marvelous light, but in coming out of that, there's something you must understand, that God is at work, that God is at work. And so because you are a victim of the fall, we must understand that the tendency could be to be disobedient and to be deceived. It exists within this narrative of us to be disobedient and, and, and to be deceived. And, and so he says, the goal is simply this, is that you walk in wholeness. And I'm here to tell you, it is possible. It is actually required of us to walk in wholeness. Let me share with you my approach to, to pastoring, my approach to, to work with people in intense discipleship. Let me, let me share with you the approach that I take alongside counselors. This is the approach I take in pastoring people. This is the approach I've taken that God has revealed to me um, probably about two and a half decades ago. And so let me read this quote that I have. And I've, and I've lived by this quote uh, when, when it comes to working with people. Who, who come out and they realize I'm a victim of the fall. So, so that may come by their behavior, tells me they're a victim of the fall. It may come by their belief system that tells me they're a victim of the fall. However it comes to me, here is how I approach it because we must approach things biblically. Can someone say amen to that? I, I can't change who I am. And I don't want to anyways. I, I want to be who God's called me to be. And so in doing this, here's this quote. It says this. If you and I attempt 
to build intimacy with another person before you have done the hard work of becoming whole and healthy person, every relationship will be an attempt to complete the wholeness that you lack and end in disaster. I read that almost two and a half decades ago. And every relationship with your child, with a coworker, every single relationship, if we, if you and I don't do the hard work, see, it's easy for someone to say, hey, this is easy. No, it's not. Becoming whole is not easy. And if you think after I'm preaching it's easy, then you're not human. You're an alien. In Area 51. You know what I'm saying? So, so there's gotta be, there's gotta be a thing of where we look at and we can see that the whole goal is the attempt is to complete the wholeness that is required of us. Why? Because every relationship will end in disaster because we're victims of the fall. Well, let me show you in scripture how this thing works out. And we can see it in relationships. And so in Genesis chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, here's what we read. Genesis chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. It says this, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Who? God. The one who is the glory of God. So here we have it as a backdrop as Cain and Abel comes and their first relationship is with God. So even though Adam and Eve is their parents, they realize there's this relationship with God that supersedes that. Come on, somebody. The biblical order is God is first, number one. And everything else is a competing cornerstone that you and I have to do the hard work of making sure it doesn't become an idol. God's given us blessings, but if we understand the blessings of God, they should not replace God. And so here it is now that Cain and Abel, they're going before God presenting an offering based on their work. And they come. And so God, for his glory, he regards Abel, but he doesn't regard Cain. And so all of a sudden, now the first issue of this victimization comes between man and God. That's where it becomes between man and God. And everything that you and I do will always land back to what does God think about this? Every single thing you do, every decision you make will go back to what does God think about it. You can get counsel from everybody else, and, and you can ask the family members, your coworkers, all the seven competing cornerstones. But at the end of it, God is the one that you're going to have to answer to, that I'm going to have to answer to. And it's more than just, I believe in God. It's more than that. Because here we see Cain and Abel, and so Cain, the Bible says, God had no regard for his offering. So Cain was what? Angry. And what happened? His face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? Because I'm a victim of the fall. I'm a victim of my parents. Of them being disobedient and being, dis- uh, being deceived. And I bring my offering now. And I'm doing the best I can. I bring it before you, God. And you have no regards for it. Don't you know how hard I work to bring this before you? And God tells him and God says, Cain, sin is at the door. And you must what? Master it. You must overcome it. If you stay a victim of the fall, you will bring destruction to your own life and other people around you. Are you hearing me so far? Can you identify maybe in your own life or someone you know that they have an issue with God and now it's affecting every single relationship that is taking place? It always moves its way back to what God thinks about it. That's what it is. 
And so he goes on in Genesis chapter 4, uh, verse 8. And so, and so what happens is now is that the victim of the fall happens two ways. You're a victim of the fall two ways. Are you ready for this? The first one is intentional. Intentional. We're a victim of the fall because we did it on purpose. We knew exactly what we were doing. Sin got a hold of us. And we know exactly what we're doing. We don't like what God said. So we're going to do it our way. And so here in Genesis chapter 4 verse 8, it says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and did what? Killed him. Intentional. It wasn't an accident. It was on purpose. A victim of the fall. In relationship to his brother. Decides to intentionally take him out. To kill him. That's the first one. But there's also the unintentional situation that makes us a victim. And this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. And I love this one because, because this is the one where we read that David gets to a position of being king. It was prophesied. It was declared that he was going to be king. And Jonathan and, and David had a great relationship. And so here is David now. And, and, he, and he's, David is asking, Jonathan was so kind to me. And so David is saying, hey, is there anyone left in the house and the lineage of Jonathan, excuse me, of Saul, that I can show my, myself favor with? That I can show favor with. That I can, that I can take the blessings that I have and I can pour it on them. And so in 2 Samuel 4 verse 4, it says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. And so it gives the backdrop now of how he became a victim. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. So all of a sudden, now here is this victim, this lame person, and guess whose fault it was? It wasn't his fault. It was the person who unintentionally, excuse me, it was the person who unintentionally said this. We got to get out of here. And so they grabbed the child and they're running. And all of a sudden, the baby fell and was lame. And all his life, he recognizes this now. Here it was. Someone was trying to do something good. Someone was trying to be helpful, but they became hurtful. It wasn't on purpose. It was unintentional. And that does happen, people. It does happen. That people are not premeditated. It, it, it's just, they didn't mean it. It just, it just it, we call this an accident. It still hurts, but, but it was an accident. I didn't do it on purpose. I, I didn't do it on purpose. I couldn't help myself. Oh, come on. I was trying to do something good. And something destructive came out of it. Can you imagine this child and the nurse and her walking up to him and realized not only did you have to run for your life, now you're crippled for the rest of your life. A victim of the fall. And there's people who grace the church and there's people who won't come into church because of these two reasons. Because they always land it back to God. They land it back to God. And so all of a sudden they recognize what's going on. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to share with you in these two things how, how I have discovered, and perhaps you will like, agree with this. Let me, let, let me give you the seven reasons um, for why victimization um, exists. I'm going to give you seven reasons why it does. And I'm going to give it to you real quick. And if you want to go more in depth, I'll be more than happy to, to go over it with you. But for sake of time, I just want to give this to you because, because it lands into where I'm taking this thing. 
um, and where we're going. And, and so the first one, I thought there was four. And after I kept studying, God's like, no, no, there's seven. There's seven. A lot of it's spiritual, but then it works its way out to emotional and even to natural. And so the first one I mentioned is transgression. It's transgression. It's because of sin. And I just share with you, intentional sin, unintentional sin. We're humans. This is the transgression that takes place. Somebody, as you look at Isaiah 59, verse 12 and verse 13, Isaiah 59, 12 and 13, if you look at it, we can see here that it says that my transgressions are multiplied before me. My sins testify against me. It tells me I'm a sinner. And it also says that you know our iniquities. Verse 13 says, we deny the Lord. We turn our back from following God. There is the definition of what it means to be a victim is that we first begin by realizing not only are we transgressing against God, we're denying the Lord and the work he's doing in our lives. Can we make a commitment from now on we're not going to deny the Lord's work in our life? Come on. If you want to get healed, the first thing is, God, I'm not going to deny the work in my life that you are doing. That I need you, God, to do a deep work. We call that inner healing. God, I need for you to do a deep work in my life. Why? Because I cannot be in relationship with anybody else if I don't do the hard work of becoming whole. And I enter other relationships. It's going to end. It's like gravity. It's going to end in disaster. And so all of a sudden, now here's the church trying to help people in the disasters of their lives. And God's like, go back to the beginning. They're not whole. Stop putting a band-aid on what needs God's hands on. We must stop denying the Lord. And that's why we have church who are quenching the spirit of God. No, we need the Holy Spirit to move because only the Holy Spirit knows what's in the heart of men. And so how dare we quench and grieve the Holy Spirit who's the only one that knows how to move into the deep places of your heart to get to that inner healing place where the Holy Spirit's move and says, now you need Jesus there. And the Holy Spirit moves and says, you need Jesus there. And the Holy Spirit moves and says, you need Jesus there. And the Holy Spirit's trying to get to some church and say, you need Jesus. You need Jesus there. We need Jesus in the difficult places of our lives. But if we deny the Lord, we turn our backs from following God. That's just a natural progression. We, we, we don't want to obey the Lord. We deny that he even exists. Because when God is acknowledged, he's going to move you in a direction that lines up with his will. And so what happens is we see that. The second thing is taskmasters. The terror of the taskmasters. And this is demonic spirits. The taskmasters are any individual that allows the spirit of oppression to come in and to cause them to afflict other people for the sake of limiting their progress and growth. Come on. Break it down again for you. And so in Exodus chapter 1, verse 10, 11, watch this now. And see if this doesn't, is not relevant for where we are right now. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 10, 11. That we can actually have political leaders who are actually taskmasters of the enemy. Oh. Sent to continue the victimization of the fall. All over the nation. All over the nation. We can name them throughout history. They were taskmasters. Afflicted. Persecuting, we call it, the church at the beginning. And this is Exodus. It's not in New Testament. This is Exodus seeing it take place. So in Exodus chapter 1, verse 10, 11, it says, Come, let us deal shrewdly, uh, shrewdly with them. 
Let's deal with them in a way that's deceptive. Let's deal with them. Let's let's they multiply. And if war breaks out, do you hear that? If war breaks out. So what Pharaoh is saying is this, that the people that are here, if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. There are people who are going to be sent by the enemy to limit your progress. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to do what? Afflict them with heavy burdens. Taskmasters. They're here to oppress you. They're here to control you in verse 13 and verse 14. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as and made their lives bitter and hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. From the beginning of creation, man was never to be over man. Never. Man was supposed to rule and dominate the earth. God's original design was that. And so what we're seeing with these wars breaking out are simply demonic spirits who have got into people who allow that to happen because they're on victimized. Oh, my God. Their own victimization. So they need for power and control and to oppress people rules up. And now they got a place, a platform of power. And that's dangerous putting a wounded person in a place of power. They were always victimized. My God. We'll always do that. And so prophetically for the end times, that's why we're seeing this. So when the person of peace comes in, gives false peace because we're so tired of the war that we want peace. And we're going to be deceived because God gives the peace, not of this world. The taskmaster. So, so these two things lead to number three, traumatic events. Trauma. Trauma. I, I read this weekend that, that there was a, a, a first of its kind uh, trauma conference they had in Columbus. Of speaking to teens to tell them about, about what trauma is doing in their lives. A great conference of them, them trying to get together. And one person said that trauma can last for years. And of course, that once you have denied the Lord and you're not following him and there's a taskmaster placed over you, the, the, the trauma of that can continue on for years. And we see it evident now because we're seeing an increase of mental illness. We're seeing an increase now of anxiety. We're seeing an increase of just the trauma that is happening that our bodies are trying to withstand and we can't. And so all of a sudden now, if the truth be told, if there was ever an altar call for people who feel like their mind is messed up, this place will be packed. And so we pick other things to relax our mind. We do other stuff to try to cope with the crisis, traumatic events. So now you meet somebody, could be your mom, could be your dad, your birth into an environment like that, your birth into a situation where it's traumatic, and all of a sudden now you're trying to have this relationship and you wonder what's going on. Well, there's the sin factor, there's the taskmaster factor, then there's the trauma factor that's there, and number four, it affects your thoughts and the way you think. And so I quote, and it says this, science is even showing us. That our thoughts, when they're embedded, watch this now, with feelings. So that's how people change their belief is they have a thought that the feelings now take over. 
So the trauma of that molestation, the trauma of that situation now creates a thought that you add your feelings to it. And now we have a society who endorses victimization because if you're oppressed, you get recognized. And so all of a sudden now that oppression becomes louder and becomes stronger than the very word of God. So you now identify as such all because of a feeling. So the church buys into it, and we want to make sure you feel good and not know that God is good. Big difference, your thoughts. What do you think about church? We sing the song, only you satisfy. That's not true. We sing the song, I'm not here for blessings. What? The reality, if you're only here for Jesus, oh my goodness, that church service couldn't end. If you were only here for Jesus, you would make the phone call and rearrange your schedule. And you would say, I'm getting healing that I've needed for years. Excuse me, I'll connect with you later on. If there was ever a time where God was moving and it entered into your thoughts and you had a feeling about it, it would change everything about how you schedule your life. Jesus plainly put it this way, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's how Jesus put it. And he asked people, are you seeking the kingdom of God? And what we have done is we've minimized the body connection for being busy. And we're masking what God really wants to do in our life. No condemnation, please. No guilt, please. I am not teaching for that. I'm teaching so you can get healed. Someone who has a diagnosis of cancer will not deny the treatment if it works. And when people are sick and we're saying, here is the medicine, don't deny the medicine. Your thoughts and how you think. And so here it says now, can you imagine that now when it comes to relationship? And so in other words, we take the facts, the experiences, and, and, and we move the events of our lives and we assign meaning to them. And so we give them meaning. We don't check the word of God. We now react to the events and circumstances of life as opposed to responding. Biblically, we react in our healing. Excuse me, we react in our victimization. One last thing I'll say is this. If we continue with this, research shows that we actually change and shape and form things according to our thoughts. As you think those negative thoughts about the week ahead that hasn't happened, or the person who hasn't actually said or done anything yet, what happens is you create toxic thinking, and it changes your brain wiring now to a negative direction, and it throws your mind and body into stress. That's what science is saying. Not even scripture. That's what scientists say that the scripture already talked about. And that's why Paul writes and says, is that whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are this, think on those things. Paul is saying, this is how it works. That you got to get your thinking in line. You have to do that. Because toxic thoughts lead to stress, which affects our body's natural healing capacity. What? Your body, by the grace of God, has natural healing parts in it. So if your body naturally wants to, wants to react and wants to bring about healing, how much more does God want to bring about healing in your life? So toxic thoughts lead to stress. Toxic thinking 
literally, and I quote, wears down the brain and the rest of the body. And now you are exhausted. You are extremely tired. And it's coming because of the way we're thinking. Number five, and I got to hurry, is that leads to a toxic environment. So can you imagine going to a workplace and everybody's thoughts is this way and they all get together as one big happy family? It's a toxic environment. Whether in your home, whether in your employment, whether at church, it's a toxic environment. And what that does leads to two things. Toxic environment leads to stinking thinking. It does. So you cast vision where you want to go as a family, where you want to go as a church. And someone, someone's going to be like, ah, no, we can't do that. Someone is going to have a way of finding why it won't work as opposed to with God, all things are possible. And so if you continually to, to, to give these people this thinking, this thinking, thinking, if you continue to be led that way, what happens now is this, that you will continue to suffer damaging your brain, I quote, and mental Illness will be the result of the action cycle. This is helping me. I hope it's helping somebody. I mean, and this goes so fast when you go through these things. And so you meet someone and your heart beats them. I love you, but you don't realize how complex it really is. And why you must do the hard work of becoming whole and do the hard work of actually asking these questions. Do the hard work of getting those triggers. Why? So that you can get to a place where this individual, this relationship will be whole. Why? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. And so what happens is this toxic environment leads to toxins now in the body. It affects our liver. It affects our major organs. And now we come to God and, and say, God, heal me. And God's like, what? And we say, God, heal me. And God says, I will heal you, but I first have to remove the victimization from you. Because what you really want is the pain to go away. I don't know if you really want my presence. Because I will see a healing service line comes up for physical, but when I talk about emotional, ain't nobody showing up. Because Holy Spirit don't work in that area. I just want the pain to go away. I don't know if I really want your presence. Because you're going to mess things up. You're going to turn it around. I'm going to have to say goodbye to certain things. I'm going to have to have boundaries now. I'm going to have to be changed. And I already told them who I was. I'm going to look like a fraud. And so number seven, the final one is this. All we can do, and this is the one that as pastors we have to be careful of. This is the one you have to really be careful of, is the power of your tongue. Because complaining and cursing begins with the tongue. And so James chapter 3, 8 and 12 says this. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, full of deadly poison. Watch this now. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Because <sighs> we're all victims of the fall. And these six things are just weighing on me. The only thing I can do is complain about you and speak cursing over you. Come on now. Come on. And so we get together now, and all of a sudden, that, that, that toxin in our body 
refuse to utter the words, I forgive you. I can't get it out. I can't get it out. And so he's saying, listen, we bless the Lord with our fault. We get here and we say, glory to God, hallelujah. I want nothing but you, Jesus. And then we curse the people made in the likeness of God. Now that's dangerous if you don't have a whole heart. Because it's dangerous because you can see a community It's Christ because they have fallen and we can speak condemnation as opposed to speaking conviction that causes them to get whole. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. In our Monday session, I can share this because it's my story, so I can share this part. And he goes and he says in verse 10, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brother, these things are not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or grapevine uh, produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so I looked at this. And so in our Monday session, Emotionally Healthy, I went and I said this. I said, God says, I can't trust you with TGP if you're still wounded, bro. He said, I, I can't do it because number seven is dangerous. It's dangerous. And we have pastors who are not walking in wholeness. And what they're trying to do is trying to do the things of God. And even though God's moving in our life and you're seeing the miracles and you're seeing all those things, please understand those things are for the glory of God, not the glory of man. And the enemy can mask, come on, God Almighty. He can mask those things on the outward while inward you are still struggling and you're still dealing with stuff. And that's why when it gets exposed, we wonder what happened. They're a victim of the fall. We just prop them up. Until God says, let me move man out of the way. Boom, and then you fall. And so we elevate wounded pastors because of celebrity status. That's not fair to them. And that's continued to cause us to walk wounded and not walk in wholeness. So let me share this with you now. I did all that as my intro. And now we see in the Bible, and I've never seen this before, and it says, God, he says, Roy, you've got to teach this. You've got to teach this. Because everything I've taught you before, yeah, we know. We know this stuff, and you guys, you're saved. And he says, you've got to look at this. What's the result of being a victim? Because there's a culture that actually wants you to remain victimized. I'm here to tell you this right now. It's a demonic spirit that wants you to stay oppressed, stay victimized. Don't get vulnerable. Stay a victim. And they mask it, but today we're exposing that nastiness. Yeah, we're exposing that. We're exposing that. That's why I said, Josephine, at your conference, I hope you ladies are signing up. I said, when she goes broken, to be poured out. I said, let's, let's be clear on what you mean are broken. Let's be clear on that. Because broken be poured out. It's almost a contradiction of terms. Not with God in the kingdom. And I said, it's broken to be vulnerable to move to victory. So there's a progression. Oh, there's a progression there, right? And I said, that's how it works. Why? Because there's a group that will try to mask what we're doing. Here's the first thing, the result of being a victim. The first one is people will profit from your pain. Just follow the money. Write that down. Come on now, follow the money. They profit from your pain. So there's a group, it's a demonic spirit that wants to keep the divide in this nation. They profit from your pain. They line their pockets. 
Don't confuse justice. Come on. True justice. Don't confuse that biblically with people lining their profit through your victimization. That's cruel. That's cruel. That's the worst thing you can do is rehearse the curse and keep me in bondage for the sake of your profit. That's the devil himself. That's demonic. And as a nation, come on, the church must rise above that now and expose it. Follow the money. Don't throw stones at me. But if you follow the money, there's more there than in the church. Because they'll put their money where their mouth is. And we have to change from tithe to generosity to give what you want, to give to theirs. Why? Don't oppress me. Come on. And so we're trying to do battle, and we don't have the resources that they do. And so how does a minority group, come on, how does a group, I'm not talking about the need for justice. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't read into what I'm not saying. I'm talking about a behavior that doesn't give God glory. How do they have more resource than the very church who's supposed to give God glory? It's because we're victimized. We've been delivered but not free. We have more religion than we have revelation. That's what it is. We are religious. And that's how we cope with our victimization. That's how we do it. So how does it work out then? So here's what the church does then. Well, well, follow the money. Just follow the money. And so people profit from your pain. So what the church does now is that, well, we don't want to be known as profiting from your pain. So watch this now. We're going to attempt to help the hurting. We're going to make attempts to help the hurting. And so in Exodus now, we, we see this all manifest in Exodus. And here it is now that we see Moses. He's on the scene. And, and in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 and verse 12, it says, One day when Moses has grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Moses now, who was drawn from the now that we heard on Mother's Day. Moses now, whose name means one drawn from the now, who, who was rescued. Come on. Who, who was supposed to be a victim. Come on. Of the, 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 the edict of a king. He was saved. He was drawn from this. And so all of a sudden now, he reaches a place where he sees victimization is taking place. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. So although he's dressed like an Egyptian, come on, he still had his Hebrew roots inside of him. He says, something is wrong with this picture. It's one of his people. And so he attempts to help the hurting. He says, this Hebrew is a victim of a system of an oppressive pharaoh and taskmasters and trauma and thoughts and all the things that go down. And so Moses says, I'm going to go ahead and try to attempt to help the hurting. And verse 12 of Exodus 2 comes in. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian And hid him in the sand. And so if you go to the book of Acts 7 verse 25. Acts chapter 7 verse 25. We read how they responded to this action from Moses trying to help. And he says, 
in verse 25 of Acts 7, he supposed that his brothers would have understand that God was giving them, giving them sozo, giving them salvation, giving them deliverance by his hands, but they did not understand because they were victims. Because they were victims. They had no clue what Moses was doing because they were victims. The Lord shared this with me, and I said this is so worth repeating. Before you can help somebody, they need to be healed first. We're making the big mistake of how can I help you, and they're not healed. And when you do that, you're going to continue to have people be victimized because before they can get healed, they have to recognize they're hurting. I heard this statement that follows next thing that happened right here, and I get right in the scripture. I remember I heard this thing. Hurt people hurt people. Heard that about 20 years ago. Hurt people hurt people. And I'm like, this weekend, God reminded me, he goes, here's, here, it's right here in the scripture, Exodus chapter 2, verse 13 and verse 14. Hurt people hurt people. So, so they're being oppressed by the taskmasters. They're getting beaten. All this thing is happening to them. Moses comes on the scene now. Moses is like, listen, that's not right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna help. I'm, I'm gonna show justice. I'm gonna kill the Egyptian so the beating can stop. So you can stop being a victim. And so all of a sudden now Moses is like, okay. In verse thirteen, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? Why are you hurting your brother? Let's go back to Cain. If what you do is right, it'll be received by God. And so Moses, what is wrong with the both of you? Why are you hurting your brother? Look around. You're oppressed. So why are you hurting your brother. And look what they did. Because hurt people hurt people. Moses hurt somebody. And he's seeing people hurt somebody. And now what Moses said, because he hurt somebody, and because they're hurting somebody, they now turn around and says, we're going to hurt Moses. <laughs> follow, follow, follow that. Man. Hurt is everywhere, by the way. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. This is so good. Why? Because God's doing a deep work. He's doing a deep work. And God is so amazed that he, he brings you here this morning for those watching online to say, this has got to stop. Someone say, this has to stop. It has to stop. Come on, somebody. It has to stop. The wounds that we're afflicted on each other has to Stop. And we must do the hard work of becoming whole because we see where it says this. He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. So now Moses is a victim of the fall. So he flees for his life, running from his calling. Because he attempted to help people that needed healing because they were hurting. They didn't need help, Moses. They needed healing. Let that sink in. So as I turn the corner and I end with this, just this part, I want to see how, how Hebrews chapter 11 tells us how it ended. Of course, that Moses, by faith, became whole and did his thing. 
but we realize that it still lingered to the place of where Moses didn't make it into the promised land because the people he was called to lead got him to a place of where he struck the rock as opposed to speaking to it. His calling. And I want to let you know, move past this issue of salvation and move into wholeness now, please. Please move away from that. Because all that is fire insurance. And if that's all you love about God is fire insurance, come on in. But I promise you, in this world, you have find other things that will satisfy you. And the only reason why you made it is because of God's grace, not because of your goodness. Because of his grace. Can we move past that? The world needs healing. And it starts with the church. And we must move past just this I believe in God, salvation stuff, to move into a place now where we do the hard work and walk in wholeness so a world can say this does work. That when I come, I move away from just being a victim, and I move away now because you do things differently. You do things biblically. You do things holistically. You do things that are going to bring about the glory of God. Are you with me, TGP? Yeah. You see, we're supposed to go and make disciples, not have people repeat a prayer. And making disciples is hard work because people are hurting. So don't approach it. Let me help you. Approach it, Holy Spirit. Do the healing. That's how you approach it. Holy Spirit, do the healing. And I'm following your leading. Oh, that's so good. Because they have to get to the place where they tell you, I'm hurting. Can you help me? And now you have access because they're no longer thinking victimized now. What they're thinking is this. You see, Moses recognized that helping people is in his nature. Helping people is in the nature of the church. Of course, we're supposed to help people. Of course, we're supposed to be doing things. But let's not get to a place all we're known as some social club that just helps people. We want people who are whole so that they can walk in wholeness. And the power of God will be evident in this world. And so here it is that Moses now gets in verse uh, 69 in the same chapter. He goes, and the Bible says, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. That's prophetic. I talked to you about seven things. Here are seven daughters. Seven is a prophetic word of completion. Uh, it's a prophetic word of completion. So seven. There's something significant about that. They hear these seven things now. And all of a sudden, now you realize that Jethro, uh, he, he gets there. Priest of Midian, he goes, and he has seven daughters. And they came to draw water and fill, the, 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 fill their bucket with water and to water the flock. This is speaking about the church. And so here they are now, and so they come, and Moses is running from his call, and here, here they are, and, and, and so they're responsible. And if you look throughout the scripture, you always find ladies at the well. You, you always find them there. And we read throughout the scripture, and that's why flowers are so important, is because what we're doing is we're showing how Jesus deals with ladies at the well. He deals with them. And so it's a type. Moses represents a type that we're going to get to, how he brings a healing to Samaritans. Why? Because Samaritans and Jews didn't like each other. So when he says, I've got to go to, I got to go to Samaria, he was bringing healing to a nation that was trying to fix what was going on. And so Jesus recognized, like, I'm greater than Moses. And just like how Moses went to the well and found the seven daughters there, Jesus goes down and finds a daughter. Oh, my goodness. And recognizes you got to bring fresh water back to a city because you're a victim. You're giving them bad and bitter water and you can't do that. That's why the Samaritans and the Jews are not getting along together. And as a nation, if we want to see a nation heal, we got to stop church giving people bad and bitter water. 
We got to say, come see a man. Oh, my God. Come see a man. Come see a man who shows all things. Come. Come see a man. Yeah. Come see a man. He is the way of salvation. He is the way of truth. I left my water bucket because only he can satisfy. The water I was giving you was bitter because I was a victim of my situations. But I met a man, my good God Almighty. Who says stop hurting people because you are hurt. Come see a man. And so we've got to preach this gospel. And the message is simple. Come see a man. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Come see a man. Come see Jesus. Helping people is in your nature. But what God wants to do is the deep work so that healing will become a part of your nature. I'll read the quote to you again. If you and I attempt to build intimacy with another person before you've done the hard work of becoming a whole and healthy person, every relationship will be an attempt to complete the wholeness that you lack and end in disaster. You read that chapter on what was going on, last verse of that. When the daughters will come to get water, shepherds, ooh, Shepherds who are known as supposed to be pastors. Come on. Shepherds who are wounded or afflicting the daughters who are supposed to bring water back to heal the people of their thirst. And Moses comes in and says, I'm going to try this again. Come on. Because Moses moved from victimization. Watch this now. Stay with me. He moved away from victimization now to at least get closer to vulnerability. He wasn't there yet, not till he encountered God in the burning bush. But where he moved and where we have to move to now is move from a place of victimization to a place of I'm a survivor. And what I need is healing from a savior. That's where we are, folks. That's where we are. That's where we are. All the stuff you see taking place, I promise you, I promise you, there is an agenda. It's demonic. It's demonic. It's to keep a nation divided for profit. And so when genuine pain comes up, if the church is confused, We minimize the pain, and that's insensitive. But we also maximize the pain, and that's just ridiculous. It's by design, people. It's by design to keep us divided. But my question to you is this, as we're going to see... Because we're going to ask the question, do you want to be healed? And some people says, no. I actually like the attention I get by being a victim. As much as that blows our mind, there are people that actually says, no, I like this. Because it's better to get this attention than get no attention. When I decided to preach this message, I said, God, I'm not afraid of the summer slump. I'm not. 
I'm not. God's word would not return void. It's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Whether there's 50, 500, or five people, I don't care. The summer can't end and we're not healed. We can't do it anymore. Your sons, your daughters are hurting. Your wife, your spouse, they're hurting. There is a community that's on the fence. There are people deciding, who am I? Am I this? Am I that? Am I a guy? Am I a girl? They're hurting. So, I'm a survivor. It's still better than I'm a victim. <laughs> but it's going to move into a place of vulnerability so God can get the victory. Whatever head bowed, every eyes closed. I have no idea what God has put on Richie's heart to sing. But preparing this message, my stomach was affecting me because I know and I feel the significance of this message. That what my assignment is in this season is to speak to a busy culture the word of God. And the pressure that exists to do that. But I can no longer I I won't allow people to profit off of your pain. I won't allow it. I can't allow it. That we must get to a place and to a people that says these words. Here I am, Lord. Do the hard work in me and make me whole. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. I mentioned to you seven areas. If any one of those areas resonate with you, I want you to pray. It says, God made me whole in that area. If it's sin, confess your sin. Confess it. If it's denying the Lord, stop denying the Lord. Let him do his work in your life. Let him do the work in your life. If it's a thought that is not productive, if it's a thought that doesn't lie with the word of God, ask God to help you with your mind. Help you with your mind. In Jesus' name. My last statement is this. I was talking to somebody and I told him, I said, I'm five years ago, I couldn't make this statement. I was still going through my own healing process. Still, still going through my healing process of, of triggers. And, and, and when I share these things with you, it's not, please listen to me. It's not because I'm still a victim of it. God has set me free. I love what I do. I'm, I'm in the exact place with the right people. I ain't going anywhere. Come on. Thought I'd get a clap of hands for that. Amen. But I appreciate that. So... I love what I do. I never thought I would actually be in a place where I'm like, God, this is amazing. God is amazing. Because God's hands on this ministry. I'm telling you, his hands on this ministry. 
There is no doubt. And we will get to a place where every single one of you will confess, do a life together, exist in the gathering place. Because I'm whole. I've done the hard work. Pastor has challenged me to do the hard work. And I'm walking in wholeness. So I said to him, I said, let me explain something to you. I said, um, there is a, uh, there's a pond. And, and then there's a bay, right? You know, bodies of water, right? And I believe every individual that you reach or that comes through those doors, everyone that you reach through discipleship, we tell about the ministry, or that God brings in here, they're coming from a pond, right? And God's bringing them into the bay. It's bigger waters. It's, 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 uh, it's increase. It's, it's expansion. And so your thinking has to line up to where you are. And then you go into the lake. And um, that journey is not easy because, because here it is. Because I had a friend who, who took me on his pontoon boat. I think I said that right. And, and so we're in the boat and, and we're in the bay. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is awesome. He's going real slow, thank God, for, for the sake of Pastor Rowe. He's going slow. And, and he says, there's a place I can take you that leads us into the lake. And I said, okay. And he's, he's bringing us there. Another boat came by and the wave went up. And he was so gentle how he handled that. And he didn't tell me after until the boat went like this, what was going on. And I said, thank you for that. And I kid you not, we go through this canal. We go through this, this body of water. This, it's narrow. So we left this massive bay and we're going through this thing. And I kid you not, when it opened up and we were on Lake Erie, I felt it. I felt that we were in deeper waters. I felt that there was more land. There was more space to conquer. And TGP, what I'm doing right now is I'm moving you from the pond. Oh, come on. And I'm bringing you into the bay. And there will be waves. Come on. But you hold on. Because when we get through the canal, my God... Your dreams are on the other side of that lake. Come on. Your salvation of your family is on the other side of that lake. And so we've got to do the hard work of becoming whole so that we can get to a place where the environment fits what God says we are. And he gets the glory that we made. Will you come with me? Will you get on the boat and will you come with me? Come on. Because I'm going to take you to a man. Oh, come I'm going to bring you to a man, hallelujah, that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living waters. Out of your belly, my God, shall flow rivers of living waters because you're made whole. My God, let me pray for you. Jesus, Jesus, we pray for this flawless conference, God. We pray in Jesus' name that every female, my God, will make that decision. Because you're working, Lord God, that they will show up and allow the work to transform them that you're doing, God. Do it for your glory. Break down barriers, my God. Bring blacks, bring whites, bring Hispanic. Bring them all, God, so they can see a man who's telling them to walk in wholeness. And let this be a church where the hurting people will find healing in Jesus' name.
because we laid hands on the sick and they recovered. In Jesus' name. 